Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, it's Pastor Jim. It's great to be back with you again. I've been away for a couple weeks, and I'm so thankful for our talented staff that can lead the church well when I am away. And uh, it's great to be back again here on Palm Sunday, this, this beautiful Sunday of celebration. Thanks to all of you out there who in recent weeks, pretty much in this last week, have baked dozens and dozens and dozens of cookies that we're going to put in boxes and send out today to use as invitations to new guests to our Easter services. So if you've got one of those boxes, you can grab it, take it, make sure you give it to a friend this week, give it to them tomorrow and say, hey, want to share some cookies with you. And by the way, here's an invitation to our Easter services. And, and if you just want to grab a box and go home and bake your favorite cookies and give those to a friend or a neighbor, uh, that'd be great too. Go ahead and uh, uh, make that happen this week. And that will be the way that we get the word out about the parties that's going, that's going on here at church next week for what is actually the biggest holiday on the Christian calendar, Easter, the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Thanks to all of you who have volunteered at our pantry again. That thing is growing. We're so thankful for it. We give out groceries every second and fourth Saturday of the month to families that are in need. Anybody who wants to come through can drive through our Glendora location parking lot. We'll put groceries in the trunk of their car. They don't have to get out. They just drive right through. And it is such a great ministry of the church for us to care for people in need and for people to see, hey, that's what the church does. The church is there to think beyond itself and to care for those who might be in, in, in grave need, in serious need, and they, they drive away knowing that the church loves them, that the church cares for them. And, and that way we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. So thank you to all of you who have volunteered at that. If you, if you haven't and you want to sign up to volunteer, go to reallife.la slash pantry and sign up. Uh, we, we'll do it again in a couple weeks, and, uh, and that ministry will continue to bless us and the communities around us. So there we go. Uh, We're going to uh, dive into a study on on Palm Sunday today. Now, if you're new to the church, because I know every week we have people who visit for the first time. If you've never heard of Palm Sunday or don't quite remember this story, this is a fascinating, strange moment in the story of the life of Jesus. Because he goes into Jerusalem for what will turn out to be the final week of his life. He goes in on their Independence Day holiday, their celebration of the fact that centuries before, God set them free from slavery in Egypt. It's their July 4th celebration. He goes in for that, and people cheer his name. They they chant for him. They celebrate the one who is coming. But they want all the wrong things from him. They think he's coming to town to throw out King Herod and to become the king of Israel. When in fact, he's come to this earth to be the king of the universe who conquers sin and death. When he rides in, they want a champion. A few days later, they'll call for him to be crucified. They celebrate Jesus, but for all the wrong reasons, which should give us pause to ask, Why is it today that we honor Jesus? Let's pray. 
Lord, I thank you that you walked this earth 2,000 years ago so that we might see you and know you and enter into a relationship with you, that we might know your will and see how you loved, that we might be transformed by your spirit and learn to live and to love as you did. Today, send your spirit into our hearts that we might hear your word and understand it, that we might see you for who you are and not just for the things that we want you to be. God, change us so that our visions would match yours. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right. We're going to look at a couple of different uh, biblical passages today. Uh, and uh, we're, uh, we're going to start with one that's not traditionally the Palm Sunday text, but it's going to tie in to the, the, the picture of what's going on on Palm Sunday when Jesus goes into Jerusalem for what's called the, the triumphal entry, his entry into Jerusalem. But we're going to start in Matthew chapter 16 at verse 13. We're going to read a different text that then uh, informs what they are uh, expecting from Jesus at the end. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, listen to the word of God. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, that's Jesus' cousin who's been beheaded, and they think somehow he's the, the same guy. That one doesn't quite work on the timeline, but some are saying that. Others say Elijah. Elijah was a prophet in the, the Hebrew scriptures like a thousand years before Jesus, and there was a, a legend that because Elijah had been a chosen one of God, one who ascended into the clouds on a chariot at the end of his life, that the day would come where Elijah came back to the earth, and Elijah's reappearance would usher in the coming of the Messiah. So some people are saying this is Elijah and somebody else who must be coming who's going to be the Messiah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus' healing powers are amazing. His words are profound and they think he's one of the prophets who's come back to walk the earth again. But what about you? Jesus asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered. Now, this is interesting. Uh, Simon Peter's name is Cephas, but Jesus has nicknamed him the Greek word Petra, which means rock. Uh, that's where we get Peter, from Petra. And Jesus has named him uh, Peter in a way that I think is a little bit ironic because Peter is always very assertive, but then he waffles. Like he gets out of the boat to walk on the water because he says, if Jesus tells me to walk on the water, I can. He gets out of the boat to walk on water, but then he immediately sinks. He says, I'll follow Jesus to the end of my life, but then in the end, he denies Jesus and runs away. So Peter acts assertive, but then hesitates, and I think Jesus has named him the rock because he's actually a little bit, uh, a little bit flimsy. So I think it's a teasing name. I think this might be the moment at which Jesus nicknamed Peter. I think this text might be the one in which Peter got that name. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah the son of the living God. You're the one we've been waiting for. M Messiah means anointed one. In Hebrew, Messiah was the word used for a king who is about to be crowned. The king would, would kneel down 
and they would pour oil over the king's head. And at that point, the king would rise up and he had been, been made the king. At that point, it was his coronation. Uh, it was his inauguration. He became the king when he was anointed and thus he was the anointed one, the Messiah. And they were waiting for a king in the bloodline of David to come and set Israel free. You're the one, Jesus, the one we've been waiting for for a thousand years. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And I think this might be where he gives Peter the name. I tell you, you are Petra. I tell you, you are the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Uh, there's a, an old uh, church mistake that at some, uh, some, in some way Jesus says, uh, Peter, you're going to be the, the primary disciple. This, he, the, the Catholic church says this is where Peter was named the first pope. That's not at all what this text says. You are the rock and your proclamation is the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. Here's what Jesus has done. He's taken his buddies about 26 miles from Galilee, which is where Jesus does most of his ministry. Jesus never traveled more than 30 miles in his life. And he does most of his ministry around the region of Galilee. So he's gone a long way and walking 26 miles. This is a hike to Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is a city that Herod had nicknamed after Caesar uh, as sort of a way of, of kissing up to his boss. So so Herod is middle management under Caesar, and Herod names a city after Caesar so that Caesar will feel especially favored by Herod and in turn will favor Herod. In Caesarea Philippi, Herod has had a temple built to the emperor because in the ancient Greco-Roman world, it was not uncommon to worship the emperor as a god. In fact, the, the Caesars declared themselves god and uh, declared their ancestors God so that they would call themselves the son of God. And, and Herod has built a temple to the worship of Caesar in Caesarea Philippi. So uh, absolutely uh, kissing up to his boss here. And uh, among the disciples is one named uh, the Rock. So, so this is uh, one, uh, the one that Jesus has picked out uh, as uh, making a statement about something very firm about something very committed. Okay, so, so Caesarea Philippi is at the, the base of Mount Hermon, and at the base of Mount Hermon, there's a spring that flows out, a, a spring that flows out of the mountain. And, and out, of the, out of that spring, there's a very lush vegetation growing around the spring, and the pagans would gather to worship there because they said this, this spring was a, a pathway, a doorway from the underworld. And, and so you know, picture a big rock face with, with water flowing out of it and lush vegetation growing around it. The pagans would gather and have worship services to their gods at this spot with all kinds of lewd sexual rituals that they would hold here. And in the rocks around the, the opening where the water flowed out, they had carved little niches, little nooks in the rock and placed idols, placed little statues to their gods all around the mountain. So this was often referred to as the mouth of Hades, right? What, what we might call the gates of hell. They didn't mean it in a negative way. When we say the gates of hell, that immediately has negative connotations. Hades was the resting place of the dead, the underworld. And they believed this somehow connected them to the afterlife and the underworld. And so they would worship all of their gods around the spring flowing out of 
the underworld. One god in particular that they would worship at this spot was the god Pan. Now you may have seen Pan in some cartoons and some some uh, legendary stuff. Pan looked like a little fawn, kind of had a goat's top with legs and would walk around its leg, play the little pan flute, we call it. And, uh, and we actually have a word in our modern English language that comes from the god Pan. The word panic actually meant the chaos created by the god Pan. Now, that's where that word comes from. Uh, strangely, uh, that's not the root of the word pandemic. That comes from somewhere else uh, in terms of the etymology. Uh, you would think the pandemic probably comes from the god Pan as well, but it doesn't. Uh, and pancakes definitely do not, because pancakes are not uh, wicked at all. They're wicked, wickedly good. But Pan was this god of chaos in the ancient world and would sort of stir things up everywhere he went and create mischief. And he was, he was pictured as sort of a goat. You know, we call him a fawn, but he was kind of a goat. And the, the historic Christian images, the cartoonish caricatures of Satan as a being with horns and a tail, actually trace their way back to images of Pan. That's how the Christians throughout history thought of this God, especially in the, the ancient world. He was, he was so evil, he was so disturbed that his, his character, his image came to be transferred onto the caricature of how people talked about Satan. That's where we get those, those images of Satan. That actually traces its way back to Pan. So worshipers of Pan would gather around this spring with all of these idols, practice lewd sexual rituals because this god of chaos called them to it. And this is where Jesus, a rabbi, takes his, his pure and holy disciples to a place that Jewish people would never go. This was such an offense to them. They would never be caught dead in a place like this. And Jesus takes them to this, this place of evil worship. And here is where the greatest declaration of the Christian faith is made. Picture this now. Picture Jesus and his disciples standing around this, this, this evil place that they hate. And Jesus turns and says, who, I, who am I? This is the question that Jesus is asking you right now. Who am I? And they start, to, they start to go with the local gossip. Well, some people say you're like John the Baptist, and some say Elijah, and some say Jeremiah or some, some prophet. I, there, people are talking all kinds of things about you. And Jesus goes, hold on, what do you say? Who am I? A theologian in the last century, Karl Barth, said this. He said, tell me who Jesus is, and I'll tell you who you are. The stand that you make on this question determines everything else. Who am I? And Cephas, the one who wavers, the one who commits to things boldly and then backs down again, steps forward and goes, I know who you are. You're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus says, you know what? You're not the wavering one. You're the rock. And on this rock, on this declaration, I will build my church. 
and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. When this world worships idols, when, when this world turns to chaos and sin, my name will stand. I will be the Messiah in the beginning and I will be the Messiah in the end. When, when the world builds idols to, to false gods, those gods will end up in the rubble. And from that rubble, one name will emerge. Jesus Christ, the Lord. Who am I? Jesus asks us. Because there's only one real answer. You are the Messiah. You are the Lord. This sets us up for what's going to happen on Palm Sunday. Because Jesus has made clear to them in this, in this strange, strange context who he is and what they should expect. What they might have been looking for now stands corrected by the declaration of Peter, which Jesus affirms. I am the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who was chosen from before time to stand with you today, to go to Jerusalem in the end, to die on the cross to pay for your sins and to rise from the dead. I am the Lord. Now, every year, uh, the publishers that produce dictionaries will pick a word of the year. Uh, last year, Merriam-Webster's dictionary said the word of the year is vaccine. Uh, another dictionary said the word of the year is NFT, right? Non-fungible token. They haven't decided yet what's the word of the year for 2022, but I, I have a suggestion. I think the word of the year, now I think the word of the decade should be misinformation. I think the word of the decade should be misinformation because, because in the last couple of years, we have seen all kinds of chaos, the kind of chaos that Pan would thrive on when doctors and government officials and school boards and individuals realize it's hard to come to clear agreement with everyone. When we look at officials who are supposed to make wise decisions and guide us and they don't agree amongst themselves or even with people in their own field, there's a lot of room for confusion. And I know some of us who are very angry and anxious race to the, the assumption that it's somebody's intentionally trying to deceive us all the time. Well, we get confused on all kinds of things. There's, there's misinformation that's based on, based on error. There's misinformation that's based on confusion. There's, there's misinformation that's based on the fact that sometimes it just takes a long time to figure out what's going on in addition to the fact that there's some bias and deception that happens along the way. But I, I think as we've watched in just the last couple weeks, the, the war going on in Ukraine, we see that there are entire governments out there trying to fill their population with false media reports to cover up what they're actually doing. Entire swaths of the world's population gets wrong information all the time by people who are intentionally feeding it to them. I think misinformation is the word of the year. Jesus will go into Jerusalem at the end of his life with people cheering his name because they expect that he is a military king who's going to go in and kick King Herod and the Roman Empire out of Judea. He's going to march in and take charge and be in, in, in authority. And that was misinformation. 
Jesus was not the military king of Judea. He was the savior of the universe. And he was not going in to throw out Herod. He's going, he's going in to make his name known for all times. I am the Messiah, the one who came to set humanity free. There's such a, a stark irony here between this, this Messiah riding in on a lowly donkey instead of on a war chariot. As people chant for him, wanting him to give them power. When in fact, he wants to set them free from sin and death. Let's, uh, let's look at the, the text as we, uh, as we get to the, the story of Palm Sunday now. This is in Luke chapter 19 at verse 35. Uh, Jesus has sent for a donkey. They brought it to Jesus, threw cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives... The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to stop. I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The Pharisees, remember, are the self-righteous religious Jew, Jewish religious leaders of the first century world who use their faith to look down on other people, to keep the insiders in and the outsiders out. And they do not like Jesus because Jesus has attracted a far bigger crowd to himself than they could ever get. And he's worked all kinds of miracles and they're hailing him as some kind of, some kind of Messiah sent from God. But he hangs out with all the wrong people. He's not one of them. He's not part of the Sanhedrin. He's not one of the, the rule keepers. In fact, he does all the things that Jewish rabbis are not supposed to do. He hangs out with prostitutes and tax collectors and, and people who drink and all kinds of sinners, uh, people who have helped roam out with traitors. He hangs out with all the, all the wrong people. Uh, the irony of the modern church is that Jesus was exactly the kind of person that we would not make a Sunday school teacher. But Jesus was was out for the lost. He says himself, a doctor doesn't come for the well, a doctor comes for the sick. He, he was out for the lost, and the Pharisees cannot stand that. The lost are exactly the people the Pharisees have been trying to avoid. And so all the disciples gather around, and they say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. God has chosen this one to be our Messiah. And the Pharisees say, tell them to be quiet. First of all, it's Independence Day, and we are not independent. Rome rules over us. If you go into Jerusalem on Independence Day, talking about how great it was that God threw over Pharaoh in Egypt years ago, Rome's going to get nervous. And Rome has a nasty temper when they get nervous. They have a tendency to crucify people. Don't disturb Rome. And on top of that, we don't want Jesus getting more attention for himself. He hangs out with losers. The last thing we want is Jesus getting more popular. Jesus, tell your disciples to be quiet. What they're saying is blasphemous anyway. It's calling attention to us that we don't want. And you should take charge here. Do better crowd control. And Jesus says, even if nobody was here to make the declaration that Peter made, the rocks themselves would cry out. 
the earth itself knows who I am. If the disciples are silent, the universe itself will declare, Jesus Christ is Lord. What Jesus means is that his lordship is objective, not subjective. It's not anyone's opinion, it's a fact. It doesn't matter if anyone acknowledges or not, it's still a fact. The day will come where you and I stand in front of Jesus to give an account of our lives. And if through the course of this life, we have spent all of our time ignoring him and avoiding him and denying him and pretending like he doesn't exist, that will not change the fact that the day will come where we stand in front of him to give an account of ourselves. That is objective, not subjective. It is a fact, not an opinion. I remember when my son, who's now 15, was in like first grade or kindergarten and they were trying to teach them the difference between uh, opinions and facts. And so they would say sentences in their little kindergarten class and they'd have to say opinion or fact. And he brought that home with him. So we'd play a little game around the dinner table. He would say, mom is the smartest parent, fact. And I would say, opinion, you're not going to get dinner tonight, fact. And he would say, opinion, you're taking me to Disneyland tomorrow, fact. And we'd go back and forth like that. And that's how we learn facts and opinions. At our, that's how we learn misinformation at our house. <laughs> that's how we, how we learn that not everybody sees the world the same way. Well, Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. And the, the crowds around him are declaring, this is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one whose life will change all of history. How you stand on his identity will determine who you are. And the Pharisees yell back, opinion. Jesus, tell the crowds to be quiet. You are not who they say they are. Fact. And Jesus says, opinion. Because even if they were silent, the rocks would cry out, Jesus Christ is Lord. Fact. Palm Sunday confronts you and I with the hard reality that we often come to Jesus expecting and wanting certain things from him, expecting that he will give us power over this world, that we'll get to be in charge of governmental authorities, and that the laws will be on our side, and that we get to, to make people do the right thing because people so often do the wrong thing. That's not why Jesus goes to Jerusalem. They figure that out on day one, and a few days later, they hand him over to be crucified because he will not give us the kind of power that we want. Instead, he goes to Jerusalem knowing that he will die on the cross to become a payment for human sin so that when we believe in him, we can be forgiven. We can be reconciled to God. And on that day where we stand in front of him, we will be absolutely guilt-free, absolutely innocent because we have believed in the Lamb of God who was slain for us. He goes into Jerusalem to conquer sin and death, not to shift around the political powers of the day. We may have come to Jesus saying, I'm coming to you because I expect you to give me the life that I want. Opinion. And Jesus answers back, you should come to me because I am who I am. My identity is objective, not subjective. It is not up to anyone else to determine. 
I am the Lord of all creation. And how we stand on that determines everything else. So if you've never come to a place in your life where you have watched the crowds around you cheering for Jesus and stopped and contemplated, wait a minute, who is this really? And, and what does that mean for my life? Now's the time. The Holy Spirit is extending to you the question that Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say I am? And you can go back to normal life tomorrow and say he's a cute guy that we celebrate on Sundays sometimes. He's a good moral teacher and I'm glad he's an influence on the kids, but that's not really for me. You can, you can go back to life and say, I'll, I'll see you next Christmas. This has been my visit to church for the year. But the reality is, the God of all creation stepped down to the earth as one of us and walked among us for a season so that we might know him and enter into relationship with him and learn to obey his will for us. Don't let another day go by missing what is objective fact. Jesus is the Lord of all creation and he's your Lord. All you have to do is, in your heart today, pray and say, Jesus, I want to get your identity right. I want to, I want to get the facts straight. I don't want my head filled with mis misinformation. So come into my life and shape my life. Shape my thoughts. Help me believe. Show me more of who you are. Don't wait till next week. Do it today. At the end of his life, Jesus would have this one last encounter with the crowds. He'd stand in front of crowds who were cheering for him for the wrong reasons. He'd stand in front of Pharisees who were denying who he was. And he says, it doesn't matter. Misinformation doesn't matter. Denial doesn't matter. My identity is objective, not subjective. If no one else declares it, the rocks will cry out. The truth is, Jesus is the king, and we do not need to be afraid of misinformation because his kingship will never be taken from him. No edifices built to false gods will ever stand against him. They will end in rubble. No misinformation campaign will ever be able to slander him. The cross didn't keep him down, and the tomb didn't keep him in. The gates of hell have not prevailed against him, and they never will. When all the world is confused or deceived, his identity will not fade away, because on that day, the rocks will cry out. The name that is above every name, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for what you endured in that last week of your life, the humiliation, the disgrace, the pain and suffering and death. And I thank you that you did that for every one of us. So now we want to place for the first time or again, we want to place our lives in your hands. Your lordship is objective. So Change those parts of our lives which have resisted you or ignored you. Ignite in our hearts a flame. Make us disciples 
passionate for a mission to carry to the ends of the earth what Peter declared on that day. You are the Messiah. You are the Lord. Amen. God bless you. See you again next week. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.